Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, people of the internet? Welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And today we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about from this week. First of all, we want to talk about some new EV stuff and how a bunch of these new EV startups like to move and maneuver. And maybe that's a nice a, way of putting it. A yeah. little bit of a rant probably mm-hmm. in there. But also uh, we have a bit of a fun segment talking about cameras in smartphone presentations and how that's evolved over time because that's yeah. been super fun. But first, one of the most common questions that I actually get from people when they ask about my job like mm-hmm. it's a it's a common interview question and on stage question is what would you do if youtube disappeared what would you do if youtube died tomorrow so like if youtube died what would you do it like where would you move your stuff or would you do a different job or yeah all like, encompassing it's always about like how much dependence we have you on have this platform on YouTube, sure. and maybe someday youtube's just dis- they change a rule that screws us over or yeah. they disappear or something happens like that and my answer is always YouTube is far too stable to be like overly focusing on that. I get it. It's an it's a great economic question, but YouTube, I have a lot of trust in them right now. Yeah. Uh, and the answer always comes from looking at YouTube's competition, which mm-hmm. is like, what are the alternatives to YouTube? Like, N- if I'm gonna go much. watch a, a video on the internet, I want to know what the the new iPhone SE looks like. I'm just gonna go on YouTube.com and search iPhone SE, yep. or I'm just gonna go to Google.com. And search iPhone SE, and it's going to show me a bunch of YouTube videos. Or articles with embedded YouTube videos. Exactly. Yeah. And so the biggest competition, really right now, is Vimeo? Yeah. That's I the biggest competition to YouTube? Sort of. At least, I feel like it used to feel like it. When, I mean, there's, like, the, there's the Netflixes and other stuff, but I'm just talking about like user-generated content, yeah. like mm-hmm. regular people uploading videos online. Uh, Vimeo Hosting does exist. platform, yeah. Exactly. And the reason that we bring up Vimeo is there was an, a headline or an article this week. Uh, I just, I'm just i just going to read the headline, and maybe you can break this down a bit because yeah, I thought yeah. this was crazy. Vimeo is telling creators to suddenly pay thousands of dollars or leave the platform. Yeah. What? I know that there's a pro account you can have on Vimeo. Yeah, yeah, there's business and pro accounts. And actually, even the creators have accounts, and this is kind of news to me because of this article, but the, the prices there aren't too, too bad. It's I think the two main kind of like creator, not business um, charges are like $7 a month to $20 a month. So yeah, I have one. Do you? Yeah. 
Do you upload anything on Vivian? No, but I, I want to know what features you get for that. And okay. you can like replace videos at the same URL on Vimeo. And I was like, that's a cool feature. It is. And then I never use it. Yeah. Well, do you use Vi you don't use Vimeo at all? Not right? actively. No. So like before we go into this, I just wanna Vimeo did used to be kind of that uh it was like kind of what the P the non-mainstream people wanted to use instead yeah. of YouTube. And I was always one of those people. Do you remember Google videos? Yes. Yes. I was, uh, me and my friend uploaded everything to Google Vimeos or videos, not YouTube because, you know, I was that cool little rebel kid yeah. that wanted to do everything different. That yeah. bit me in the butt. I do remember Vimeo had its biggest heyday in my memory as like the filmmakers YouTube, yeah. basically. Everything I did in film school was uploaded to Vimeo. All the compression looked better. Oh yeah. All the, just the videos in general playing back on Vimeo looked better. And that's where you'd find most people's like short film type projects and yeah. stuff. And then I also kind of felt like as just like an internet user, you go a little step further than that when YouTube was really cracking down on copyrighted music. When they used to not oh. switch it, they used to just take all, like the amount of ultimate videos I've created that yep. all the music's gotten taken off of on YouTube was a lot. So you would upload to Vimeo. Vimeo became like the the place to upload copyrighted all stuff. Of, all of the Stevens ultimate highlight reels yep. that all feature, I think, Taylor Swift songs are all on Vimeo. Yeah. Yeah, Good. it's true. It, it, to me, back then, Vimeo was the less popular YouTube, but copyrighted music, and generally, like you said, better compression, just better looking videos. So for like film students, it worked really, really well. Yeah. So that's still, I think, what Vimeo is to me now because I haven't, it hasn't been that relevant in my mind. Um, since then, I still go back and try and watch old videos because some of the best old Callahan videos used to be on Vimeo. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so going through this article, by the way, it's an article on The Verge. We'll put it in the show notes if you want everything. But I kind of, there are two main examples in here that I wanted to bring up that really interest me and, and like was kind of outstanding. Um, it okay. seems like Vimeo has, they also do business accounts, um, which are ranging from around, I think, Fifty to seventy-five dollars a month. Um, so I think they're pushing towards business stuff a lot. But the last time, though, I really heard Vimeo at all, really in like the last decade, in terms of non-business but more creative side, was Jack Conte did an interview. He's the CEO of Patreon, and yep. he was talking about which I didn't realize. All the videos uploaded on Patreon are actually through Vimeo. Vimeo is just the default video hosting platform for right. Patreon. Right. Um, and for some reason you don't know what Patreon is, website where you can pay monthly to support a creator, and a lot of times they wind up giving you exclusive access to something, whether that's extra videos or Q&As that they make on the channel, whether they upload stuff early. Yep. Um, but pretty much it's it's way smaller amount of people watching, but you're paying to watch it, so it's a great yeah. way to support creators. And it's like a really nice, like you can pass or protect individual videos, like you can make it yeah. much more locked down than a YouTube video, mm -hmm. so it's like, it made sense, yeah, they built that. Really well. Yeah, it works. So the like the partnership there when I heard about that seemed amazing to me because Patreon is awesome, but it focuses more on how to support the creators. And then Vimeo does have all the upload capabilities, but not a lot of people use it. So this felt like the perfect mesh to me. Yeah. Um, but because of this mesh is where we're seeing now this story develop, which is essentially, I guess Vimeo is getting to the point where to them, these creators are using a lot more bandwidth they expected and they're charging the money. Problem is, is they're just kind of coming out of nowhere with these charges. So the first example, um, 
So there's a user on Patreon who said they were paying $200 a year and um, they were okay with that. It's a pretty, it's a good quality platform. It works perfectly with Patreon, obviously. Um, they had 117 subscriber only videos, each of them averaging around 150 views and their most viewed video was 815. On March 11th, Vimeo sent her an invoice that said her bandwidth was within the top 1% of Vimeo users and that they wanted, if she wanted to keep hosting her content on the site, she'd need to upgrade to a custom plan quoted at $3,500 a year. And she was given one week to upgrade, decrease her bandwidth or leave Vimeo. Wait, okay. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there, wow. I think okay. there are a couple of things really stick out. So to end up in the top 1% of Vimeo users, yeah. 100 videos averaging 150 views put you in the top one what really that's all you have to do i don't even i kind of don't believe i know vimeo is small but that seems yeah that seems insane. off that, was, that seems like she's like watching billions of hours of videos from one account like someone else has a login to her account and is just watching a million things well this is just this is people watching her stuff like she's getting charged based on how many people watch her content that's it. so that $3500 for i mean I doubt the 117 videos were all in one year, but $3,500 a year, 150 views average. She's never broken a thousand, which yeah. for Patreon, those are great numbers. Like if you're thinking about somebody paying five bucks a, a pop for each of those, like, right. and then getting the cut, that's fantastic. Um, but the fact that they just give her one week, $3,500 a year, and, or she can just leave video. Yeah, that, that's pretty bad look. And that's another one of those that's decisions really we've bad. talked about on the podcast before where you're like, as you are Vimeo writing out this email, you're mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is going to suck. This is going to this is gonna make a lot of people really mad. And there's going to be a lot of articles written about how heartless this is. But mm -hmm. we got to do what we got to do. That's crazy. $3,000 a year. Top 1%, though, just really, it, it can't mean that Vimeo is doing great, at least on the creative side. I know nothing about their business side. And I just want to make that super clear here. If they've been around for this long, something over there is obviously doing okay. Mm-hmm. But the creative side of this, that's yeah. brutal. Yeah, I actually, I feel like I get the B2B part of Vimeo better now than this weird attempt at charging creators. That's crazy. Yeah, so I mean, and they were charging a bit, but she said she was paying 200 a year, now going up to 3,500 a year. Is Which is it? probably more than you made from the Patreon videos that you were creating in the first place. Possibly, I don't know exactly how the math checks out or yeah. what their levels of everything were. Um, but then there was the other kind of bigger um, example of this was, do you know the YouTube channel, Channel 5? It used to be, or it's the guy from All Gas No Breaks, I believe. Oh no. He's kind of like goes to a lot of big events, a lot of them political and kind of has like a funny news report interview style. I guarantee you've seen some okay. of the interviews he's done. Um, his name's Andrew and he, his stuff's really funny. And his YouTube channel is huge. He's got like, it's a new channel ever since he split and getting over a million subscribers, probably one to two million views a piece, but he releases everything on Patreon early um, to a, a pretty big Patreon uh, mm -hmm. audience. So he, the other day, what I guess logged onto Patreon, saw, had 200 messages and lost 500 patrons, and all of them were complaining that none of their content was there anymore. So oh. Vimeo took hostage essentially of all of his videos um, and then told him for a two-year plan, he's gonna have to pay $16,000 to 
to get his stuff. Now his stuff, these are a lot more users, a lot more people watching. His mm. videos are generally like 30 to 40 minutes, so it clearly is way, way more bandwidth. Yeah. But $16,000, it's not even pay it now or you'll lose it. It's it's gone. I've already basically pissed off all of your patrons, and if you want it back, What kind here of a it is. weird backwards policy is that? It's That's insane. the strangest. The thing is like when you're when you're signing up for Patreon, you just think you're uploading to Patreon's video player. Like you don't I'm so glad you said that. He when this happened, he first contacted Patreon and then when they told him Vimeo is the one who did it, he said I don't know what that is. He's just been default right. uploading to Patreon the whole time exactly. and didn't know it was embedded. Yeah, that's Vimeo. how well they've plugged in is like yeah. it's it's really well integrated and that's why they went with Vimeo, but now yeah, people when Vimeo makes a crazy change like this, Patreon looks terrible. Patreon looks really bad in this. What Unfortunately, which it's a shame. Patreon's all I I really we don't have a Patreon, but I really really like what they're doing oh, yeah. and a way to help creators. Um, yeah. So essentially, luckily, he understand he has all of the videos already. They're also all mostly on his YouTube channel now because he was just releasing things early. Um, the problem is, is he said his favorite part about Patreon is having the more exclusive comments and reactions, he, stuff he can read a little easier. And oh, if yeah. he gets rid of all of these, he loses all of that. If he has to re-upload everything, he loses all the comments on old videos and stuff like that, and everyone gets spammed on his patrons. And he's lost over 500 paying patrons. Right. Patrons. So this, this is one of those, this is another one of those head-scratching decisions. Do you think Vimeo did the math and they were like, yeah, some people are going to pay and this will be worth it. Oh. $16,000 for what, a two-year two plan? Yeah. So $8,000 a year. God, for what? I mean, what are you getting extra out of uploading to Vimeo other than maybe a couple special, like, obviously it's branded videos and certain privacy protections that Vimeo offers and still maybe copyright music protection, but $8,000. Well, I don't even know what they do with copyright stuff anymore because that was old Vimeo. Yeah, I'm sure, sure they're, they're getting hit with that because Twitch is getting hit really hard with that as well. Um, mm. It basically feels like the password protection and the, YouTube can embed into things just as easily. It feels like if yep. YouTube added password protection that because you can't just unlist a video and put it on patreon because then people can share that link yeah, and it'll go share everywhere it. yeah um so it makes it much harder it, i mean i didn't even think of this but yeah it feels like youtube could kind of squash this if they did a password protected or That's account specific linked so this video. is the thing this is why youtube doesn't have to evolve as quickly is because they don't have to do anything now vimeo is killing it all by themselves by yeah. deciding to now charge people eight thousand dollars a year for a couple thousand views or whatever they're generating, which is like, yeah, obviously the question of will YouTube ever die will come from like a competitor that comes up, doesn't make those type of mistakes and eats YouTube lunch in some type of way and does like probably something better than what YouTube does in order to actually convince people to switch. Because if you just built another YouTube today, even if it's feature for feature, for feature the same thing, mm -hmm. there's still no reason to switch. It kind of reminds me of... Uh, trying to get people to switch like cell phone carriers. A lot of people just don't want to switch. They're like, I yeah. don't know, I like my phone number, my phone works fine, you're offering me the same data plan but on a different carrier. You have to be better than what exists to get people to switch. Yeah, something has to be better. And should that thing ever arrive, it will be so incredibly obvious that we'll have time to react to it. 
and uh, clearly Vimeo ain't it. Yeah, I hate to like, I hate to because Vimeo does hold that old nostalgic special place in my heart. When I think of Vimeo, I think of uh, like the Will Neff Callahan video, like mm -hmm. one of my favorites ever. Yep. If you're an ultimate I think the nerd, Nick Lance one. Oh, no, that's YouTube still. There's I a think he was of, YouTube. Yeah, it was like just a couple years before him, back in the like mama bird michigan glory uh, days i mean not that they're not glory days i think a lot of oregon videos were on there the yep. uh yeah so i'm sorry a little Dang. ultimate nerding here but yeah seems pretty brutal some of those prices were insane but i still think the most crazy part to me is averaging 150 views puts you in the top one that is the craziest users. part of that to me i can't i i mean if that's true if averaging 100 to 150 views or whatever it is puts you in the top 1%, imagine what the top 1% of YouTube channels generate and what kind of bandwidth that is that YouTube's supporting. Yeah. That is a massive difference. It's crazy. And that's also the reason why I'm really interested to see where Patreon goes in this step because Vimeo doesn't seem to be that Right. That because if you're charging that much, you kind of need those amount of views on Patreon to really, you know, be a full time creator. It helps a whole lot. Yeah. But that means Patreon's also going to realize, like, wow, we do have to, like, you still do have to hold that bandwidth and pay for that bandwidth. Someone has to. Mm. How are you making this split now? And then how is this going to benefit creators on Patreon? Are you going to start cutting into their resources really hard? Or uh, I don't know. What's we'll going to happen, yeah. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on this. We'll see what, what Patreon does over time. I'm sure we'll link any update articles if we find them in the show notes. Yeah. But we have to take a quick break and come back because we want to talk about cameras for a little bit. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. All right. I have a new favorite tweet. I need to share this with you. Ooh. This is great. I, I was I pinned this for Waveform because I want to talk about it. And there's just so much here. I, I tweeted actually probably like two, three weeks ago. And a lot of people were like roasting me about it, but I'm fine with it. Which is just that it seems like 75% of new smartphone presentations these days are mm -hmm. just camera, 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 camera. And then I had a bunch of people going, well, all you ever talk about is a camera. I wasn't complaining. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, that's true. That's well, one of the most, they spent, they'll go battery, spec, screen, camera feature, camera feature, camera feature, camera feature. It's camera always feature. at the end and they usually seem to end on So it. much time on camera. And it didn't always used to be this way. So I just kind of tweeted that thought out there and then that was that. Yeah. So sure enough, last week, uh, a tweet from a user named Lee94Josh showed up on my timeline uh, where he actually went back and watched 
every single iPhone keynote mm -hmm. since the first one and spent out and he actually counted how much time was spent talking about the phone and how much of that time was specifically spent talking about the cameras. And he graphed it all out. Yeah. And now I want to go through this because this is now yeah. real evidence that more and more time has been spent talking about the cameras. So I guess we can just start with the first Apple event, right? The first yeah. Apple event was in 2007. It was kind of one of those iconic, like, massive things. But I don't know if you remember, when we reviewed every single iPhone, mm -hmm. the camera wasn't really a big feature on the iPhone in the first few. Yeah. So they didn't have much to talk about. Well, because if you think about it, while smartphones were revolutionary and the iPhone kind of revolutionized smartphones, camera, there were cameras and phones before that. Like, I had flip phones with cameras and... They were rough, and it they were rough just, to look at. Yeah, just like a basic three megapixel webcam, like nothing too yeah. crazy. Like but, you could send a picture of like where you were to see. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or you just like, you know, have a couple of things to scroll through on your yeah. little flip phone. But like they were there, and the iPhone didn't upgrade that at all. That wasn't the focus on the first right. iPhone, for sure. For sure. So the first iPhone, 2007, they spent 79 minutes talking about this new revolutionary product. To me, that seems about right. Like they could spend an hour. Plus, I'm easily. honestly surprised not more if it's your first product, the first big product like that you're talking about. It was good. It yeah. was good. And for those 79 minutes, they spent 10 seconds talking about the camera. Let's look at the back. On the back, the biggest thing of note is we got a two megapixel camera built right in. The other side, and we're back on the front. Sounds about right. Hey, it has a, it has a camera yeah. on the back. You can do X, Y, and Z with it. It's a good time. Moving on. Um... That was 0.2% of the presentation. If you move up all the way now to, to iPhone 13 in 2021, they spent 33% of yeah. the entire presentation on the camera. That was a 42-minute presentation for the iPhone, which, you know, that's the 13 mini, the 13 max, 13 whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, 14 of those minutes were spent talking about the camera. Mm -hmm. That's not actually the highest. The highest no. was in 2019, iPhone 11 spent 35%. But you can see clearly the last three years have been more than ever on the camera. You kind of see yeah. like the little brackets of 0%, then a bunch of teen percents, and then a bunch of 20%, and now the last three years are 30%. Yeah. But even inside of this, there's so many interesting ones. Yeah. If I, you're listening for audio right now, I just, I beg you, come watch the video version of just this part. Find the tweet at least so yeah, you have some reference. So you can look you know. at this graph. It's fascinating. Uh, okay. My favorite one is... Probably the iPhone 3GS because it's it's the longest ever that they, sorry, the iPhone 3G. Yeah. Longest they've ever spent in a presentation talking just iPhone. It's the first iPhone upgrade ever. It's the 3G one. Mm -hmm. You know, they did a bunch of new stuff. A hundred minutes. On presentation. On presentation That's on crazy. the new iPhone. Can you imagine a hundred minutes on a, on a new phone today and they spent Three seconds. And that's one phone, not four phones. We're at yep. four phones now, and they're spending 40 minutes. Yeah, there was no mini plus to explain. Mm -hmm. It's just one new phone. A hundred minutes of talking about a new upgrade. Three seconds on the camera. Yeah. My favorite part, we have a clip of those three seconds, and we're going to play it right now. It's a generous three seconds. Very. The same gorgeous 3.5-inch display. Camera. That, yeah, that was beautiful. it. Beautiful. <laughs> that was yeah. the whole three. That was the entire. Three I think seconds. the context of it is they're pretty much just going through like what's on the camera. Yeah. Or uh, sorry, what's on the iPhone. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, very generous. I, I think some of my favorite things to look at here are looking at the differences between two years adjacent to each other. So like yeah. there's kind of some big jumps and then usually in those jumps, you can find the thing, like what the upgrade was and why they were so impressed and like wanted to talk that much more about it. Yeah. So like you went from the 3G to the 3GS, um, which was three seconds to four minutes and 30 seconds. Like that is a huge jump. You went from 0.05% to 25%. Yeah of the entire, although the 3GS was only an 18 minute presentation, I believe, was that WWDC that year? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. so 3GS was the first ever S upgrade. So you can yeah. imagine, all right, it's only an 18 minute presentation, like we don't have a ton to say because it's the same design, mm -hmm. but there's a few key things in this new design that are upgraded. One of them was this was the first ever camera upgrade. I think it went from two I, megapixels to five, uh, something like that. I think, yeah, it looks like most of them were at five because then the first big jump was from the four to the four S. Which our, the, we did a graph. We have a graph of this. When I reviewed every iPhone. <laughs> oh, did we? No, I yeah. did not have that graph. Oh, I, let me pull up that graph yeah. too. So we reviewed every iPhone. And at the end, we had all these great charts. And if you've seen that video, then you've seen those charts. One of them was uh, iPhone megapixel count over the years. Oh, yeah. And let me just see if I can fast forward. Yep, found it. And they had a, yep, two megapixel camera for the first two iPhones. And then the 3GS was the first ever upgrade. And it went to a three megapixel camera. Boom. That one megapixel warranted <laughs> an extra it. four minutes of talking about the camera. So Exactly. Bravo. But it's, it's the one, like it's an S update. So there's not a lot new. Yeah. So yeah, only things they changed, I think, were speed. It was a new processor. Camera, it was an upgraded camera. Mm -hmm. And so you have to talk about that for that 25% of the presentation. Yeah. Um, there's a, it seems like megapixel bumps seems to be where we see a lot of these spikes. So from the four to the four S, they doubled the time they talked about the cameras from four minutes to eight minutes. And they also happened to bump the camera up to eight megapixels that year. Mm -hmm. Then they did another bump from the six to the six X. Um, that was eight to 12, but the selfie camera went from 1.2 megapixel to five megapixels. So that was the thing I was gonna mention about 4S. That was the first ever selfie camera. Yes. So they had to spend time talking about FaceTime and like what you can do with a front facing camera. But 3GS to four, they spent less time. They went down in time talking about the camera. So mm -hmm. maybe they focused more on talking about was well, that it, was the new was design. FaceTime? New design, okay. Yeah, four was like, okay, now we're up to 52 minutes again talking about all this new, this is the the biggest like new looking iPhone. Yeah, so percentage wise, they talked way less about it, but even in just pure sh time spoken and yep. the 3GS four minutes, 30 seconds in the iPhone four with a whole new camera, a selfie camera, first time yeah. they spent 30 less seconds talking about it. I think that's the most fascinating yeah. decrease. And then while adding something so that that just seems to stand out to me a lot. And then, yeah, the, the longest ever was iPhone 11, 20 minutes talking about just camera, which is longest, yeah. massive, 20 minutes just about a camera. So even, uh, do you remember what 11 was though? Um, 11, so we got the ultra wide for the first time. Yes, but there was also, that's deep fusion too, right? Ooh. And remember how long they talked about that for it to not even come out to, Yeah, to it? be a small update yeah. later in a software. There update. was a very long, there's there's two main big camera like features I remember them talking about that took way longer in the explanation than I feel like warranted and that was deep fusion and cinematic mode. <laughs> Both of those had like 
yeah. insanely long extra pieces to the camera with examples and like, and like yeah. low light shots and focus racking yep yep and i can't tell you a single person that i know even in the tech world right now that is like oh i love deep fusion or i love cinematic mode or yeah. it's for how much time they spent with it it doesn't seem like people care i'm just happy somebody actually went through and charted all this stuff because i had the thought and actually i had the thought because i was watching I think I was in a briefing or some meeting where they were going over a phone. And I think this ratio is even higher with some other companies. Mm -hmm. I think it might have been either a OnePlus or a Xiaomi phone or something like that, where I think it was over half. I think clearly easily over half of the presentation was camera mm. because they didn't have a whole lot of new stuff. It was like, here's a Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. It's fast. It cools. We have a high refresh rate screen and fast charging again. Camera feature, camera feature low light camera, video camera, high res mode, cinematic mode, portrait mode, like they wanted to go over the, all the AI stuff, all the color they've been doing, tons and tons of camera features. And I was like, this is, it at least was 75% of the slides. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way. So yeah, this is, this is what differentiates mm -hmm. smartphones at the highest level. They're all pretty fast. They all have pretty good screens. I, I would love to see with all the phones taken into account, all the presentations taken into account, who was the longest? Like who spent, who the, spent most the, time? the longest and then who spent the most percentage-wise on one? Because I do yeah. feel like I remember somewhere it feels like they're only I don't think it's OnePlus because OnePlus also likes to focus on charging so much. I just remember when they did the Hasselblad thing. That like, was a lot. They yeah. had to do so much camera stuff. To, they talked uh, about yeah. Hasselblad. They talked about what the partnership the meant. The and helicopter the helicopter and like Yeah, everything. all this camera, camera, camera. Even if they're not showing examples, they're just talking about Hasselblad yeah. and camera well, stuff. And then Samsung, like 100X Space Zoom, they had um, yep. who were the... Who are the two guys that were like up by the bridge in San Francisco? Like, yeah, the demo with the 100X. Yeah, like they do all those crazy demos. And and yeah. it seems like it's focusing almost more on all the, it's kind of a shame because it, it's focusing more on these like collaborations they do to attempt to show it off, but it just turns into more of like a commercial and less about actually the camera and how normal yeah. people are using it. Um, yeah. But there's a reason. There's a re people say this a lot to us too. Why do tech reviewers focus so much on the camera? And because honestly, it's it's the biggest gap you can see between it's a lot of phones difference. and the biggest thing. Yeah. Every single person who uses that phone, whether you're a huge tech head or a completely average Joe user, like you're going to be like, this camera looks better every time you buy a new phone. You're gonna be like, oh my goodness, these pictures are so much better. Yeah, that's my. It's that's huge, that's really what it comes down to for me. The biggest difference in phones in battery life will be like either oh yeah i can kill this one in a day or yeah this one has pretty good battery life it'll last you longer than a day yeah the biggest difference between speaker quality is what like ah this one's not that loud mm -hmm. oh this one's nice and rich okay great but the difference in cameras is like that's one feature that pretty much everyone uses at some point on yeah, their phone sure. a lot of people are like i have kids i want to be able to remember these like moments i need it to have a good camera and if it has a bad camera, it's going to ruin my whole phone experience. And some just don't have good cameras. Some are just not good for that type of thing. And some are better at it. Some are really good at it. And that's a really meaningful thing to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember my my five pillars of a great smartphone. For me, as a reviewer, I narrowed it down to five. Yeah, It was performance, battery, software, camera, and build quality, basically. And like even as a reviewer, if it's only five... I think for a normal person, they're like, 
I'm gonna get this new phone, I need it to have a good battery, good screen, good camera. It's just three. And it probably yeah. has to be an iPhone for most people. But like, that's software. So mm-hmm. three or four things. So yeah, if it narrows down to three or four things, then those things are gonna get the most airtime. And it turns out the camera is probably number one. And I think the fact that we are reviewing dozens and dozens of of phones every single year and are still seeing these big differences in cameras, when you think of the average person upgrading two or three years down the line, that camera jump is gonna be the biggest jump they encounter when they upgrade. Claire, usually I upgrade her with a phone that's like two years old every year and every time she gets it, she's like, I can't believe how good this camera is. She takes pictures (laughs) and she's like, this looks so good. Like, I'm so happy with this. And she's using like an S10e right now and is still amazed at the camera. That's one of the funny things about like the way phones have gotten better is if you look at a phone six years ago, when it first came out, we were all like, does the battery last a whole day? Yeah. Yeah, good. Six years later, does the battery last a whole day? Yeah, okay, good. It's like the battery capacity had to change massively inside the phone to achieve the same goal. Yeah. And then same thing with like speakers. Like the screens are bigger and they look much better than six years ago. But if you show someone a a photo from a camera from six years ago, (laughs) from like an iPhone 6 versus a 13, it is a dramatic difference, especially video, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. That is consistently true about these things. I go back and watch our old videos all the time and it's like, it'll be videos raving about the camera and I look at it and it's like, like, it looks foggy. Dear Lord, yeah, did you clean that lens off before you took that picture? Yeah, Um, exactly. Speaking, you know, before we switch to our next topic here of new phones, Mm -hmm. I know it's turned into kind of a meme here with my Pixel 4 XL, but I finally bought a new phone. I was really hoping it would get here before today's episode so I could show it off. But which one did you order? I'm not going to say that. I'm going to let people guess. Uh, Because I have talked about wanting basically every single phone. Uh, Let's see. Guess in the comments. Guess on Twitter. I'd like to know what you guys think. Do you want to do? I've talked highly of a lot of Do you want to leave it open ended or do you want to do multiple choice? Give people. We could do a poll on Twitter. Yeah, we could do a poll. We could do a poll. I think there's a couple I've talked about um, that that will narrow it down enough. But I'd like to know what people think. I would be very interested just if one phone wins point, by a lot and it's totally not the one you got. That's, I'm very curious now to see what people say. It's at the point where I feel like people just, whenever they like tweet at me, they just have to mention that I'm still using a Pixel 4. Yeah. And it just be like, okay. Yeah, by the next right. episode, we'll know. By the next episode, we'll know. Okay. Hopefully, the, the FedEx tracking has moved like one state in like four days. So I'm not Classic. that... Uh, confident about it but all right let's take a quick break when we come back i'm just gonna rant about a new ev this yeah support for this episode of waveform comes from gigabyte there's a lot of talk out there about how ai is revolutionizing our world computers are writing newsletters robotic bees are pollinating flowers and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world but how can ai power our passions and what we do for fun that's where gigabytes ai gaming laptops come in so their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting-edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of ai powered gaming So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. 
You also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution, like you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte. Team up. Fight on. All right, we're back. Welcome to the EV section Wave of Waveform. Yeah. No, look, I so this is a video we've been sort of working on in the background for a while because I have a lot of thoughts on this, but about like the EV car space and how uncertain and weird it is, amplified by the chip shortage, amplified by the fact that EVs are hard to make mm-hmm. and cars in general are just a crazy market to be in right now. But like trying to order an EV today is crazy. The yeah. the actual experience of like, there's an announcement. Is it real? Will yeah. I get it if I order it? Should I pre-order? It's a hundred bucks to reserve my place in line. Will it ever happen? Like, there's so many yeah, weird questions. The hundred dollar refundable thing is still yeah. baffling to me. Honestly. And you know, we talked about Rivian. We've talked about the the F one fifty Lightning. You can get in line. The Cybertruck. Like mm-hmm. how long that's been on order. And then you look as far back as like, I I technically ordered a Tesla Roadster in twenty seventeen, and that's still not out yet. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Faraday Futures of the world, and it's just like I don't know what is even coming out anymore. It's a confusing, confusing. It is. And then today I opened up Instagram uh, at like nine in the morning. It was way too early for this. And I got an ad for this electric car company that I've never heard of, which is not uncommon, but it was actually just straight up asking me to invest in the company in an Instagram ad. Yeah. Can you read what it said on there? Um, But it was just a picture of a pickup truck. And it said, uh, our Reg A-plus funding round is closing soon. Invest in Atlas Motor Company, Atlas Motor Vehicles today, and don't forget to check out bonus benefits and incentives. Yeah, and also just to like paint the picture a little better, it's a, a photo of a pickup truck with like, if you know, whenever cars are kind of testing new models, they have like the white and black camo, camo. wrap on it. So it's a black and white camo wrap, but the car is as boxy and like, simple as you can imagine it so you can tell every single line on it as well but yeah yeah, so like a camo wrapped truck asking you to invest in an instagram ad with like 90 likes on it yeah if you click on it or google the company you can go to their website where they say they make they're going to make an electric vehicle platform that you can put all sorts of vehicles on they're starting with a pickup truck called the xt 
500 mile range, blah, blah, blah. Right at the top, there's a big red invest button. Hell yeah. And this is just, this is the perfect like summary of all of the different EV like things that I've seen over the years. Here, look, they even show you, here's how much money we've raised. Yeah, here's I how many investors we have. Uh, first of all, you can make one, where do I even start? Okay, let me just start with this. Tesla changed the game pretty seriously. Okay, like the the dealership method where if you want to go buy a car, what did you do? You went to a dealership, you haggled a little bit, you bought the car from the dealership, not directly from the company. Mm -hmm. So Tesla changes the game a little bit. They go direct to consumer, they sell cars online. And in order to have people buy cars online, but not necessarily just buy them willy-nilly and then cancel, they go, eh, okay, there's a $100 reservation fee, then we'll build your car, and then you can get it and pay full price when you pick it up. That was like the old way of doing it. It, it had still a hundred dollar reservation. I think there's still. I think it's a hundred dollars for a Model Three. Because I remember when the Cybertruck came out, it was like the hundred dollar refundable reservation fee, and that's yeah. the first time I remember that. I think even today it might be a thousand or five hundred, just to know that people are serious. It's like a deposit, right? Exactly. You yeah. put a deposit in to get your spot in line. They will start building the car to your order, mm -hmm. and then. When it's done, you can pick it up and pay the full price there. And is that refundable or not? It's not no. refundable. Okay. I think uh, that's the some difference. Of them are. Some of them are. I think the this one might Cyber be. Cybertruck is, is refundable. Generally, a deposit is non-refundable. Yeah, I don't know if this one's refundable or not, okay. but it is just to keep people from just ordering yeah, tons sure. of stuff for no reason, right? Um, so then we got used to like this online reservation of getting your spot in line for an EV. And then Tesla kept doing it. They did it with... Model S, they've done it with now trucks and cars that haven't shipped yet still years later. So they did it with, actually, here's the crazy one, the Roadster. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but the Tesla Roadster is going to be a base $250,000 car, right? But if you want to order a Tesla Roadster, you'd have to send them $5,000 reservation fee, and then within 10 days, send them Forty-five thousand more dollars to secure your place in line. Yep. So it's one fee just to get your name down, and then another fee, which is a part of the price of the car, to get your name like locked in place, not refundable. <laughs> and then you pay the rest when you get it. Mm -hmm. Even you worse. Yeah. yeah even worse. The Founders Edition, which is one of the first thousand, we don't really know too many other details about the Founders Edition Roadster, but the Founders Edition, the color is a different red, right? Slightly different red. Yeah. Sure. Uh, which is 250 grand, is $5,000 deposit to get your name down. And then within 10 days, the entire rest of the $250,000. So you pay $245,000 more to get your spot in line to be one of the first thousand Tesla Roadsters. Mm -hmm. Here's the fun fact. That was in 2017 when they rolled it off the truck and they've been selling those out ever since. But let's say you ordered on day one. Within 10 days, you put down your quarter of a million dollars. If you put that same quarter million dollars anywhere else, you would have made money off of it. But instead, you just gave Tesla a, an interest-free loan of $250,000. If you'd put that money in Tesla stock, for example, <laughs> yeah. I think we calculated that would be worth something like $3.5 million right now I think from being that long ago. Yeah, it's... Uh, Unbelievable. It's a crazy amount of money. So, you know, there's all these companies that are seeing how well this pre-order method works. It's good for Cybertruck, for example. It's really good for showing interest, demonstrating interest in the product and yeah. for attracting investors in general. So when you get to say, hey, we made one really cool EV, 
paraded it around and attracted a thousand reservations, it's kind of like Shark Tank. You're like, oh, so you just need the money to make it now, right? Mm -hmm. And then you'll go out and make the thing. But so many of these companies just haven't made the thing. They just don't make the thing. So they just take all the money, parade it around, make one really cool EV, which is the easiest part, parade it around, get as many reservations as possible from regular people, parade that number around, get as much investor money as possible, and then disappear. Faraday Future, Lordstown Motors, maybe Faraday's not gone, but that's basically what happened. (laughs) It was like five years ago. And it is very, very rare that one actually makes enough money in that parading the car around stage to actually make the car. That's why it's so rare. We got like Rivian is new. We got Lucid is new. Mm-hmm. And then some others I checked out around the same time Lucid don't exist. Lucid took a long time, though. Lucid, Lucid took, took a took long a time, and they're just time. starting to ship. Rivian took a long time. They're only shipping 25,000 cars next year. Like, it's very hard to scale up a car company and and ask Tesla. They're the, the last ones to do it at scale. But, yeah, it's crazy how many, like, of these we're starting to well, see. Well, and I think knowing that is what made this specific Atlas vehicle, like, very, very strange to it's us crazy. because it's, like... I, we had never heard of this, and we're pretty. Uh, I mean, if you listen to Waveform, we talk about any EV news possible There's because it's interesting, and it's like it's the it's the big thing going on right now. It's what's changing in technology, and EVs are big. And I'd never heard of this company, and the first time we're seeing it is in an Instagram ad to invest in it. Not even to buy the truck; they're just straight to like, yes, all right, we're crowdfunding. Exactly. Like just you've never money. heard this. Invest in us now. It says they've raised five million dollars with thirty five hundred investors. Interesting, um, but I've heard absolutely nothing from this. And actually, I just realized. Do you see what the URL for this is? AtlasMotorVehicles.com. Oh, oh, okay. I'm in a different part. I guess it's InvestInAtlas.com. Oh, it does is, take you. Yeah. To, yeah. So, so here's so here's the formula, right? So I've narrowed it down. This is the exact formula of making billions of dollars. Step one: make a nice drawing of an EV, something or that would sell a lot. A render, yeah, something. If you gotta make up some features, if you have to, do it. Like a drone that flies out of the back. Yeah, a drone that flies out of the back, <laughs> something crazy, just make it look nice. Step two, design a whole web page around that one really cool EV. Doesn't have to be real, just make a nice looking web page for it. Step three, get enough money, this is the hard part, to make one of them, mm-hmm. just one. Make a really nice, like, you don't, it doesn't matter how much you spend on it. Just make one really nice EV. Parade that car around to as many people as possible. Put on an event. Send people to the webpage. And make sure you have a big red reserve button on that <laughs> webpage. <laughs> At some point, make people able to pay, I don't know, 100 bucks, whatever. Just get people in. Get people in the door. Hitting the reserve button. When you get a bunch of people that have seen, wow, this one EV you made... That's a great idea and it's totally real. And then they go to the webpage and they see, look at all these other cool features it's gonna have. It's totally real. They'll totally reserve, right? Step, I don't know, what are we on? Three or four? <laughs> Feels next like step, some like scam class. Yeah, no. Next step is take that number of reservations mm-hmm. and parade it around to people with billions of dollars. Look at what we just did. We have this great idea. They don't know if it's real or not. We have this great truck. We only made one, but it doesn't matter. And we're gonna make so much money if we can just make like millions of these trucks, whatever EV, and get them to invest in your company so you can tell them that you're going to build a factory 
and scale up production and really make this thing for real. Tell as many of them as possible, get as much money as possible, and step five is good luck with the rest, <laughs> which is if you can actually build the factory and the tools in the factory and the robots and everything and hire all these people and engineers and maybe even poach them from other failed companies and put them all together and stir hard enough, maybe you can ship a couple more of these things. Um, but yeah, we've seen so many examples of this. I mean, Lordstown basically followed this exact formula. As far as I can tell. Yeah, one thing I found, this is one thing I found really funny when we were uh, like looking into this video is some of these websites just feel like they don't even care. Like the Lordstown website. It's weird. The photography is atrocious. The website is terrible. There's like 50 different fonts. But they just have to, to make it look like a good product. That's it all. It doesn't look like a good product. <laughs> no, the, website, the product though. looks cool. Okay, I The guess. website doesn't look great, but the product, oh, if it was real, that'd be so sick. All the pictures are taken with like an iPhone SE in the dark <laughs> and nothing is like level. It's just brutal. Like you look at something like that as just somebody who anyone who uses e-commerce shops and you look at it and just think there's no way this is how little they care about the presentation of look, it. Look, if it, you've got a big reserve car, button, that's all you need. I guess. Um, I kind of want to talk about because one thing you mentioned was like give it a bunch of features and you need features to stand out. Yep. And this Atlas car has some wild claims. I Just think. promise the world and if you get enough money, you can hire engineers who will figure it out. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be this real. This is like more than promise. How long does it take you if you wanted to charge your Tesla right now from one to 100, all the way to 100? Uh, on the on fastest a supercharger, possible. 45? 15? This claims it can do it in 15 minutes. Cool, yeah, great. That's For sure. That's just like, <laughs> at that point, you're just, lying i feel like i just i mean but we're sure. gonna we're gonna hire engineers though with all the money from your investment oh, man like <laughs> listen i hope they can get to 15 minutes and what's crazy it's 15 minutes is still four or five times longer than it takes to gas up a vehicle so you're still not quite at that time but mm. this is claiming zero to 100 15 minutes any conditions it should be fast affordable and consistent all the time i bet it should be but I yeah just yeah, and everyone has a slightly different take on it. Like, Lordstown was going to do trucks. This Atlas company, every time, by the way, anytime I ever talk about these companies, some one of them reaches out like, oh, can we talk more about it? I'm just telling you right now, I'm not interested mm -hmm. until you ship something. So I'm just, I'm not. But yeah. this company says they're going to do an EV platform so they can build a bunch of different bodies on top. That, I think that's like really interesting. Similar to what Canoe was yeah. trying to do. and More in like a fleet version, and this is fleet as well. I kind of yeah. like this. They're taking the EV skateboard wheel design, mm -hmm. letting you build something on top of it because almost all EVs have that similar design. Great idea. Um, Great I think idea. that part in itself is really cool. But then like talking about 15-minute battery charging and, and just like some of the things they're promising on here seem wild when at the same time you're buying Instagram ads to invest into the company. That just yeah. seems like such a reach I would love such to a see, desperate move. I would love to see one of these go on Shark Tank and try to explain themselves. Actually, I would really love that because then you'd have I would to love have to see how investors. Yeah, you'd have to have the or... like. You'd roll out the one truck you made. And you'd be mm -hmm. like, "Look at this product! It's going to change the world." But wait, it's not just a product, Mister Wonderful. It's a licensing deal because we make the platform and we can sell this platform to anyone who wants to electrify their cars. It's a great idea, and they go, "Oh, what's the market size for this?" It's cars. It's a bajillion mm -hmm. dollar market. They've got all this prep. They've got this beautiful website, and by the way, we've got. 10,000 people who have already reserved one. We just need your money to invest 
to start making this thing right now. And then Mr. Wonderful goes, all right, well, how many sales do you have? And like, well, we haven't actually made any yet, but we have a lot of reservations and a lot of interest. And then you go, all right, well, how much money do you need? And they go, uh, $50 billion. And they go, <laughs> oh, well, 0.1% of the company. Yeah, we need a lot more money than, than you're willing to invest right now. Yeah, and I just want to make it clear, like, all of these EV companies, I hope, succeed. I would like all of them to succeed. Almost all of them, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, someone's yeah. got a bit more of a gripe going then. Yeah. But, like, it just feels like it's hurting. Oh, man, I don't know if I even want to say that. But just, like, no, I, I don't agree. know. This website itself just feels kind of like a slap in the face to some of the other ones. And I hope they're developing technology to make a 15. Like, you've got a couple really cool things here. Crazy fast charging battery. You have a... a platform that you can design different types of trucks on to meet the needs of the fleets you have and stuff like great that. great idea all of those ideas are really cool but like yeah. when you say all of them are coming together and just a giant button to just invest money in it without seeing much is yeah feels i think sketchy at best the reason i i'm like trying to package all these thoughts into one video and like hey maybe it's a waveform clip right now but we'll figure this out yeah but like i do think it kind of does hurt the potential of a lot of the the industry in general, like when it gets so sketchy to try to decide what to buy. We've had people come by at work, like when we have the Rivian out and we're shooting it, people are like, that's the thing. That's yeah. the Rivian. I want one. I actually already have an order in. I wonder when I'll get one. And I'm like, I, I can't tell you when you're going to get it. Maybe someday soon. And at least we have one here, but that situation is a lot worse for some other ones. I made a video about the Faraday future. Knowing what I know now, I would definitely have hesitated to make that video. Yeah. Like we saw the Lucid Air five years ago and it's finally just starting to ship. Mm -hmm. How many others are we gonna point a camera yeah. at that never happened? Lucid Air was like full, basically almost fully working prototype that we drove in. And to us, we're like, okay, this is a step further because that was the year after Faraday Future, I believe. I started yep. the CES after you saw the Faraday Future and I thought it was really cool. And then we're like, oh man, we haven't seen much and there, it was pretty bare bones. Oh, but here's the Lucid. This has like, we're going to drive in it and the only thing didn't really work was like the air conditioning or something. Yeah. So we and thought it was right around the corner. I thought they were about to ship and that's the thing, like, and I, I bet Elon said basically a version of this before, but like, yeah, making the first one is easy. So the fact that they had a really good single working prototype for us to drive in, it's a good sign, which means, hey, you can source parts, build motors, mm -hmm. make a nice interior, fit and finish is like cool to see that type of stuff. Great, you hired the right people to make that one. But the hard part is making a million of them. <laughs> and the gap between making that one really good and, and mass producing in a way that can sustain a company mm -hmm. is huge. It's gargantuan. So... That's that would be my point of the video is trying to highlight like what this stuff does to people's minds when yeah. they start seeing so many of them that they don't know what's real anymore. Yeah. It uh and just like to reiterate here these are just our opinions quickly like uh, we don't know much about this company maybe they do great I'm sure they wouldn't be happy about us saying all this Please but like ship one. but like this is just what we're seeing and our thoughts when we pay attention to this all the time and it's getting to the point where it feels weird i guess and we yeah. just want to try and put our thoughts out on that um it's funny i see so many new ones Th this is the other thing i want to probably include is there's a difference between a new company promising an ev mm -hmm. and an existing company promising an yeah. ev 
because at least that existing company is already mass producing cars. Yeah. It's, so we feel like we have some basis to go by like, oh, okay, we know what their fit and the finish will be like. We know how many they'll be able to make. Like, it seems like they've got a good head start rather than like trying to crowdfund from zero into Ford. Exactly. Right? I mean, it, like, I know we've talked about this before and I think both of us kind of wonder which side's the better option for this because you have Tesla who created a, a great product and all the super beneficial things of EV and smart car and driving and all that together. But mm. manufacturing is what they really had to learn and they're still really working on that. Where you have someone like Ford who has the Mustang or the, the Mach-E and, and mm. stuff like that who has production down pat. I mean, like it's like the pinnacle of production, but then they're used to gas powered, the EV smart stuff like that. They're not a software company. It's it's yeah. so which one of those is going to catch up to the other side first? Where are they going to cross yeah. paths and then kind of equalize? Um, but then starting from new is just a whole when you don't have the experience on either end. Yeah, it's a lot harder. And That's I get the fun it. Thing. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, I mean, I to sort of put a bit a pin on this. I made a video a while ago. I think it was called like Dear Tesla Competitors or something like that. I think it might have been around the Rivian. It might have just been like Dear EVs or something. Something like, like that. Yeah. But basically what you just said, like, okay, Tesla's here, poor manufacturing, great EV tech and and, and like ideas, mm -hmm. trending towards getting better ma manufacturing. Exactly. And then you have the like Fords of and, and Mercedes of the world who can manufacture a car trying to get better at the EV thing. And when do they meet in the middle and get better at the thing they're bad at? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? Do you think that Mercedes and Ford will get to be a really good software company and EV company first? Or do you think Tesla will get to be a really good manufacturing company first? Yeah. I don't know what's harder. I don't know what's more or less realistic, but that's the the thing that we're watching. That's exactly. a fascinating thing. Yeah. So uh, I want to I wanna actually recommend a piece of content to watch. I haven't done awesome. that in a while. Yeah. It's a YouTube video. Jason Camissa, mm -hmm. he's one of my favorite car video hosts ever. He does a really great job. Uh, and he just reviewed the Lucid Air. Okay. Super Oh, good. that was that really, I've been tagged in that video so many times, I just haven't really gotten good. a minute to watch it. It's a great video. He compares it to the Mercedes, like S-Class, obviously. Okay. And we did get a chance to look at the EQS, mm -hmm. which is sort of a similar in class, but he's like, look, the Lucid is built by a startup redesigning EVs from the ground up. like. Same dimensions of a car, but it has a front trunk because Mercedes mm -hmm. just put stuff in the front and doesn't yeah, have a front yeah. trunk. Like, watch that video. Not only is it super well done, but it shines a light on the difference between the Lucids and startups of the world and the Mercedeses of the world that we're talking about all the time. So, yeah. it's a good one. I think this is just like this rant turned into more of a rant than I was expecting, <laughs> even though the our document literally just has the website title and rant no under notes. it. No um, notes. But yeah. like, I think that's proof we've been working on this video for a little bit. Hopefully it comes out pretty soon. But yeah. every time we seem to take one step deeper into like learning about this, we just have more questions. It's like and quicksand. Yeah, it really has been like that. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. This was a pretty unscripted ending here that went all over the place. So if you're confused, rightfully so. Same. But I hope you stuck around for it. Yeah, that's it. Video soon, hopefully. Yeah, look out for it. Catch you guys next week. Thanks. Waveform is produced by Adam Molino. We are partnered with Vox Media and our intro-outro music was created by Vane Silla. <laughs> Please leave that in. Please leave that in. <laughs> <laughs>